Romans chapter 10. So I appreciate um, Larry and Steve and Jim covering for me. The last couple of weeks have been out. And the last time we taught from Romans, we finished up verse 13. So we're going to pick up verse 14, Romans chapter 10 through the end of the chapter today. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, may we see more and more the importance of digging deep into your word, Lord, of meditating day and night, as the psalmist says in Psalm 1, that we'd be like that tree planted by the rivers of water. Whatever we do prospers, Lord. When we are meditating in your word, there is a condition to that blessing and that prosperity and lord we know our hearts can be drawn to other things appetite for other things that uh, can be foolish and wasteful and yet we have the treasure of your word lord may we desire it may we spend much time in it and be students of your word those who um, truly are building our our life on the on the rock of Jesus Christ and his word his will and lord we'll see a change in our life lasting change as we learn to abide in your word and so we pray that today as we look at at some of these passages that uh can be difficult but lord have just amazing truth that will uh, really change our lives if we understand these concepts of of walking in faith walking in the way you've called us to lord as we look at the nation of israel and uh, why they were set aside as as a whole lord because of their failure to do it your way to walk in faith humbly bowing their knee acknowledging their sinners in need of a savior and learning to then just walk in faith teach us these things we don't want to follow in their error lord but we we want to be those who are searching out your word doing it your way lord not the way we think it should be done in terms of walking with you so we commit this time to you in jesus name amen so we've been going through <clears throat> the book of Romans, uh, what we're calling the Romans Revolution, challenging uh, you guys to read ahead every week. In, in fact, try to incorporate the study of Romans into your daily devotional time. And try to, uh, again, read ahead so that by the time you come Sunday morning, you're very familiar with the passage I'm teaching on, right? We all have to take personal responsibility for understanding God's word, right? We can sometimes criticize the teacher or the preacher and say, oh, that wasn't a very good sermon. I didn't get anything out of it. Well, that's just a little slice of your week, right, of somebody trying to teach you the word of God. We all have the responsibility to dig in ourselves daily, right? And so uh, 
the the importance of going deep into the word and that's what we've been trying to encourage in what we're calling this Romans revolution that if you really do go deep into this book it really can be life-changing for you understanding the principles of Romans which is really the the basic doctrines of Christianity how to walk with God uh, as I was praying earlier you know it, it's not about us doing it our own way or just trying our best to be good people. It's about learning how God tells us to walk with him. And and that does take some some deep digging, doesn't it? I know the ladies have been studying Proverbs. I know you had a, a, a seminar yesterday. Is that what you call it, seminar? Well, a retreat, like a mini retreat, half-day retreat. Um, okay, conference. There you go. Sorry, conference. So uh, it was good? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, going deep into uh, Proverbs. I've been reading some Proverbs, and it, what is that book starts out challenging us to seek out God's word like treasure. You know, d- the, the wise person digs deep and listens to God. The foolish person, you know, is, is not really paying attention to what God has to say. So I'm challenged more than ever to go deep in the word of God, to make it a super high priority in my life, and, um, you know, quit making excuses to just get in and, and, and uh, be a wise person. So Romans is a super important book. And uh, we're, we're in this section now, Romans 9 through 11, that is kind of Paul taking a little rabbit trail as he's teaching the, the church at Romans. And he's really answering the question, well, what about Israel? So chapters 1 through 8 is... Uh, Again, the the real basic doctrines of what it means to be a Christian, uh, the first couple chapters of Romans, laying out the truth that we're all sinners. We have no way to fellowship with God in our own righteousness. There's not one righteous, no, not one, right? And so this this is what our goal is going through Romans, that we can kind of talk our way through the whole book, right? I'm not, I'm not going to call anybody to do that this morning, but really that should be our goal, right? To be able to say, oh, let me tell you what, Romans 1 is and 2 is about Romans 3 or 4. So um, I'm just going to do that quickly as a review, and then we'll jump into Romans 10. But uh, So, yeah, the first few chapters, 1 through about halfway through 3, is talking about the fact that we're sinners and that if you don't understand that about yourself, you can't even start out with God, right? If you think you're pretty good and you're pretty righteous and you can approach God in your own goodness— you don't get it. You don't understand uh, the law of God, how holy God is and, and how fallen and, and, and separate we are from him. So that's how we start out with God. We, we admit, Lord, yes, I'm a sinner. I need help. And then uh, Romans 4 uh, talks about the faith of Abraham laying out this foundation. Uh, Paul's laying out this foundation to the first century world to say, hey, Faith in Christ is how we come to God, but faith in God is nothing new. Go back to uh, Genesis, and you'll see it in chapter 12, I believe it is, where it it starts the story of Abraham. So very early in the Bible, faith is emphasized. In fact, it says Abraham uh, believed in God, and he was uh, accounted righteous before God. So Paul's saying, this is not a new doctrine I'm coming up with. Remember, Paul has, is introducing to the first century world 
this new movement, Christianity. So he's having to lay the foundation and justify the teaching. And, and he's saying, hey, I'm not coming up. This is not some new cult. This is not some weird teaching. Faith in God and being justified by faith goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 12, the, the life of Abraham. So that's what Romans 4 talks about. And then Romans 5 gets into the work of Christ on the cross. And that's, that's where Romans really centers, uh, focuses in on is the work of Christ on the cross. And then how do we internalize that? How does that impact our lives? Not, a, not only in how we start out with God, through accepting Christ as Savior, but then how do we walk with God through the same faith that saved us, okay? So Romans 5 really just lifts up the work of, of Christ on the cross and, and, and shows what an amazing Savior he is and the, and the amazing grace of God um, and ends chapter 5 in saying, you know, where sin abound, grace abounds all the more. So there's... There was this great wave of sin that swept across the world through the fall of Adam and Eve. And we've all felt that devastation of the power of sin in our lives, haven't, haven't we? And, uh, you know, depending how deep we go into sin, the, the devastation is that much greater. But we've all felt it and we all still feel it. And, and yet the Lord's grace is greater than the, the depths of our sins. That's what Romans 5 talks about, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So this wave of sin that's so powerful, there's a greater wave of grace. Isn't that awesome? And, and we just want to be recipients of that grace through the cross of Christ, through faith, see? And then Romans 6 says, well, if gra he, he kind of anticipates our question. Oh, so if grace abounds... Uh, then we can just sin it up, right? It doesn't matter because if we sin, there's just the more we sin, the more grace there is. And Paul addresses that in, in Romans 6 and says, no, that would be in conflict with your new nature. You know, it's like uh, oil and water. They don't mix. It's like with a, a born-again Christian, sin and righteousness don't mix. We have a the fundamental change when we're born again that we desire to do the will of God right isn't that an amazing change uh, about think about your yourself that when you were born again wasn't that a huge change you saw within yourself you wanted now to please your father more than anything else in the world now whether you were actually pleasing him that's another matter but you at least desired it that was a a big step in the right direction right before we didn't even care we cared about pleasing ourselves now we want to please god so god, that's because god gave you a new nature when you were born again a new nature and that's what paul talks about in romans 6 then in romans 7 he goes into the struggle that we as christians have with sin and trying to live that a righteous life, right? We don't just accept Jesus and then say, well, my sins are forgiven. I'm, I got a ticket to heaven. I can live any way I want. No, we, we are now drawn to the purposes of God and searching out the word, fellowshipping with other Christians, trying to determine God's will for us day by day because our heart is, oh, well, we want to please the Father. We're becoming conformed to the image of Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus is all, all about? He says, I only just want to please the Father. So that's your destiny. That was when God created you. He says, oh, I, I want to make 
some beans that are like my son. I'm so pleased with my son. I, I love the fellowship we've had through all eternity and his, his uh, obedience to me and his love toward me. I'm going to make more creatures in his image, in the image of God, that are, I'm now going to conform them to the image of Christ, and, and, and they're going to uh, worship me and serve me and bring me pleasure. So that's what your purpose is. That's what your destiny is. You know, we, we're not the oddballs in the world because we love God and we're obsessed with Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we were made to do. The oddballs are the people who have no desire for God. And they wonder why they're, they're, they're so messed up. They don't understand life. When we're in that zone of, oh, Lord, I just want to serve you and live for you. Well, that everything about me was created to do that, body, soul, and spirit. That's why you feel a peace and a joy when you're in that place, right? And you feel a purpose and an excitement about life. So Romans 7 talks about, okay, uh, the frustration that can come in the Christian life uh, when we haven't learned how to walk in the Spirit. So <clears throat> we get saved. Let, let you take Paul for an example. He was giving himself as an example. He got saved. He understood Jesus died for him. He needed to accept Christ and surrender to Christ. But now he's trying to live this Christian life. And what Paul basically did, he took his Phariseeism into his Christianity and tried to live by his own strength. That's the only frame of reference he had. He didn't know how, how else to live. He was just going to try to be the, a good person. And that's a great goal, right? But then you start moving along and realize, uh-oh, I'm struggling here. I'm sinning. I'm failing. I'm not able to maintain the kind of godly life that I think God wants me to live. And, and Paul ends chapter 7 saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? So it kind of ends on a low note, but then he jumps to this high note. He says, oh, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then he goes into chapter 8 and, and talks about his discovery of now walking in the spirit, not walking in his old Phariseeism, his own self-righteousness, but he's given all that up. And he's now learning to walk in the spirit and letting Christ live his life through him. So that's what Romans 8 is all about. And it's uh, really, you think about Romans chapter 8, it's really the, the high point of the entire Bible. I, I've heard some teachers say all of the Old Testament, all of the Gospels are really leading up to Romans 8 is kind of this pinnacle of truth and saying, okay, here you are, this is the the highest point of the Christian life, walking in the spirit. And then you get toward the end of Romans chapter eight, even a higher point of, of saying, I'll never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And remember, we talked about that when I taught through Romans eight, it's not it, that idea of God's love is not just understanding. Well, God loves everybody the same. No, he has a pleasing love to those who are walking with him in faith, right? As opposed to he loves the sinner, but he's very displeased with the sinner. So when you when you realize, oh, I have God's favor, <clears throat> I have God's pleasing love over me because of my faith in Christ. That is really, I believe, the highest point a Christian can reach. Now let's just stay in that place of understanding. 
I have Christ. I have the favor of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm now not going to let anything separate me from that way of thinking. And uh, I'm just going to enjoy my relationship with God because I'm, I'm pleasing to him. I'm not fighting that battle of, of feeling condemned and guilty for my sin, right? I mean, y'all sin still, right? You know, you're not planning it, I hope, but, you know, uh, but you're, you stumble into sin every day. And I, I, do you feel all guilty and condemned and separate from God and frustrated over it? Or do you, have you learned to just say, okay, Lord, I, I blew it again, but uh, forgive me, fill me with your spirit. Lord, I know, I believe I have your favor now. I, I believe I have oneness with you, Lord. And uh, Lord, I'm just by faith going to enter into that place of uh, your pleasing love and just live in that place, right? Instead of being defeated and condemned by the devil all the time. So that's Romans 8. Now, Paul then takes this kind of rabbit trail, but it, it really leads logically from Romans 8 to Romans 9, where he starts talking about Israel. Romans 9, 10, 11. Why does he go off in talking about Israel? Well, because he's saying, oh, you Christians, you Gentiles, many of the new Christians were Gentiles saying, you have this amazing favor with God now. And one would say, well, I thought Israel was God's chosen and God's favorite. What about them? I mean, <laughs> that's a big question that needed to be answered in the, in the first century world. And that's what Paul's answering here. And he's basically saying, well, has God uh, failed in his plan with Israel? And Paul basically is saying, no, he hasn't failed. God knew that Israel as a whole was going to reject Christ as the Messiah, reject this new gospel message that was brought to the world God already knew and it's and, and Paul quotes many many scriptures from the Old Testament uh, documenting that fact that um, God knew that this was going to happen now Romans 9 uh, some have said is is uh, one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible because it starts talking about predestination and you're trying to now balance predestination and free choice and um, the more I study through these chapters, I, I, I've come to realize even more and more clearly that God has chosen us according to his foreknowledge. God never forces choice upon anybody. Uh, so God knows ahead of time uh, who is going to yield to him and serve him. He knew Esau would reject him. He knew Jacob would uh, serve him and Jacob had a heart for God Esau didn't really care about the things of God and so God saw this this um, line of descendants from Abraham that would lead to the Messiah and and he chose accordingly and so Paul lays out the the fact in, in Romans chapter 9 that well if you're going to rebel against God God's going to use you for his purposes anyway god's in control so if you if you surrender him to him he's going to work in your life and use you for his glory if you don't surrender to him and you rebel against him guess what he's going to use you for his glory and his purposes and that's what he explains that's what he did with pharaoh 
And Pharaoh, you know, it says he, Pharaoh hardened his heart against God, the first five plagues. And then the last five plagues, it says God hardened his heart. And God says, okay, you're hardening your heart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you in a direction that will glorify me and my purposes. And so that's, that's really all that Romans 9 is saying. And, and also another important truth about Romans 9, God is saying he, he doesn't choose people because of their righteousness. He never looks down and says, oh, man, I, I, I finally found this righteous group of people that uh, I can accept into my kingdom. He didn't do that with us, did he? Did he look down and he, and he saw, you know, Rick Miller. Oh, I finally found a righteous guy who, uh, who understands, you know, my way. No, there's none who understands. There's, there's none righteous. So when he calls us, it's 100% his mercy. None of us deserve it. Israel, God says, in, even in the Old Testament, he said, I didn't choose Israel because you were righteous or you were better than any nation. In fact, you're the weakest nation and you're the most stubborn people. I chose you to show my glory and my grace through you. The fact that Israel would even have any favor from God shows God's long suffering, his patience, his mercy, and gives us great encouragement. He's not going to give up on you. And he, you know what? He hasn't given up on Israel, by the way, which we'll get into next week when we get into Romans 11. So it's God's mercy and uh, God's, choosing now and and again he's choosing us according to his foreknowledge and then at the end of Romans chapter 9 it says uh, he tells us well why is it then that Israel didn't attain to a relationship with God so let's pick up in verse uh, 9 verse 30 of chapter 9 Romans What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? So how is it, you know, Israel is being set aside, and Paul's answering the question, why was Israel set aside? Why were the Gentiles chosen? It says because uh, they did not, the Gentiles, they weren't even pursuing righteousness, but they've attained to righteousness, but it's the righteousness of faith. Don't you love that? I, mean, I, th- I think about, oh, I need righteousness in my life. I, don't you? You want? Are you hungry and thirsting for righteousness? Life goes a lot easier when you walk in righteousness. I mean, you've discovered that, right? So it's like, I want more righteousness. I want more fruit in my life. Well, how do I get it? By faith. That's the good news. If it was just about Rick being more disciplined and, 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 and trying harder, but he says, no, it's the righteousness of faith. Verse 31, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. So you have a nation for very religious seeking God, but they're not seeking God in the way God's prescribed. And then you got the Gentiles, they're just seeking sin. They're not even seeking God. And yet they find righteousness. Many of them, when they heard the gospel, they're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I accept Jesus. And the Jews hear the gospel. are like, what do you mean? I'm a sinner. I'm no sinner. I'm no, I don't. Jesus wasn't Messiah. We were expecting this great and glorious king to rule and defeat the Romans. So the Israel, even though they were pursuing righteousness, they didn't attain to righteousness. But the Gentiles who weren't pursuing righteousness attained to righteousness. Verse 32. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. So 
think about that in your own life. And, and this is this has really impacted me in, in a deep way, just reinforcing this um, this message of faith and grace. If I look at my life and I see I'm lacking righteousness in an area, I have to conclude it's because I have not pursued the the righteousness of faith. I have not allowed by faith Christ's righteousness to come into that area of my life. So when I recognize that and say, Lord, uh, I haven't been in your word like I should, would you please pour into me your righteousness? I believe you can do that, Lord. You're Lord of all. Lord, just pour into me a holy desire for your word, and, and it, you'll get all the glory when you do it. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's how it works, the righteousness. Or, Lord, I'm tempted with this thing, you know, and um, I'm just, I keep failing, Lord. And, and, uh, and rather than just promising you to, that I'm going to do better, Lord, I'm, I'm just now opening up that area of my life to the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith. And Lord, would you just give me overcoming power? You know what I'm saying? That's how it works. That's good news because I can do that. I can, I can interact with God in faith and see his righteousness begin to pour into my life. And I, I see real change in my life. And that's what we're going to get into. Um, Paul continues to, to expand on that thought. It's so important how to walk with God by faith, how to see God's righteousness in your life. It's by faith. And that's good news because that means the weak, weakest of us can see righteousness flow into our lives and overcome uh, sin that devastates us. But verse 32, they stumbled at the stumbling stone, uh, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So the stumbling stone was uh, that they had to admit they were a sinner, and uh, that was offensive to them, and Chapter 9 ends saying, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So if you choose to live this life of faith and, and quit striving in your own strength, God says you will not regret it. You won't be embarrassed by it. Uh, you will see God's power working in your life. So let's pick up in chapter 10. We're going to read uh, the first 13 verses kind of quickly and then finish the rest of the chapter because we've already covered verses 1 through 13. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So that's really important. You can, again, have a zeal for God, but if you're not doing it his way, you're going to miss out on God's best. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So again, that's an, uh, an error Israel made. It's an error we can make trying to establish our own righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's super good news. It's saying, put your faith in Christ for righteousness. Don't put your faith in the law or in yourself. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. So Paul's basically saying, you want to live by the law, this is what the law says. Just do it, and you'll be blessed. You ever have somebody say that? Well, just, you know, like you're trying to quit smoking or something, you know, and maybe they, they quit, and it was easy for them. They're just like, well, just quit, you know. I did it. Just do it. 
have willpower. And you're like, I, I can't. I mean, I'm trying, but I'm strong. You know, they're kind of self-righteous about it, you know, and you're like, eh, I don't want to talk to you. But, you know, we've all met people like that, and we've certainly been like that. You start to get proud in an area where you're kind of strong. You're like, maybe you're on this diet, and you're like, oh, I'm doing so great, and kind of proud. You know, you shouldn't eat that. You shouldn't be eating that, you know. And then all of a sudden you fall, you know, the next week, and you're like, ah, oh, I'm such eating Twinkies and whatever. They don't even make Twinkies anymore, do they? But So um, totally lost my train of thought. Okay, so Christ is the end of uh, righteousness to everyone who believes. Oh, oh verse 5, yes. Yeah, so the man who does those things shall live by them. In other words, if you're under the law, that's kind of, you know, the, the uh, God, God really trying to set you up for failure to, to drive you to the cross. The law is supposed to tutor you to Christ, not make you proud of your achievements. Verse 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Now, this is kind of a tricky section here, but it's really important. So he's saying the law, if you think according to the law, this, you, you'll, you'll just say, hey, just do it. Have willpower. If you think according to faith... Paul's going to basically say there's there's a, a way you shouldn't think and a way you should think. So faith does not think in this way. It says the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So in other words, Paul's saying don't think this way if you want to be a person of faith. And, and essentially what he's saying, Christ already came from heaven, died on the cross, was raised up. So don't think in your mind, you know, I, I, I wish God would, uh, would do this great work. He's already done it. It's kind of like we pray, we sing, oh, Holy Spirit, come, uh, you know, fill me, come into my life. Well, he's already come. You're, you wouldn't, you wouldn't sing, Father, send your son to die on a cross for us. He's like, I've already done it. So, again, you can pray. Of course, we pray to be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. But you, you get the point I'm making that he's saying faith doesn't say, oh, I wish God, Christ would come down. I wish he'd die on the cross and rise again. It's already done. Faith, it's our, the work is already done. So faith thinks in those terms that, hey, God's already done the work. There, there's an open door between me and God. When we start to think in unbelief, we think, oh, I'm so far from God. How will I ever get close to him? That, that's not the way to think. But what does it say? Verse 8, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So faith says God is not far from us. Up, Christ isn't in heaven or in the abyss. No, he's right. He's as close as my mouth and my heart. Because my heart is what I believe with, and my mouth is where I confess who Jesus is. The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. So that's how you get to righteousness. You believe to it. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And that's really talking about, it's not so much me just, you know, audibly saying Jesus is Lord. It's the attitude 
of faith and acknowledgement and understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that in my heart and I confess it. So if you believe in your heart, you believe unto righteousness and you confess who Jesus is, uh, is, is where we arrive at salvation for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord Overall is rich to all who call upon him and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved now Verse 14 All this has been introduction and now we're getting into our text, but we'll move quickly through it And how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So Paul is really now just reiterating in verse 14 to 15 what he shared just a few verses before. This idea of, of these, these, these steps unto salvation, as it were. So verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's a, a, a beautiful truth, basically saying, if you will call on the Lord from a heart of faith, you will be saved. And again, that's where it's talking about confessing with your mouth. Uh, the, uh, from the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's a calling upon the Lord for salvation. And it, Paul very beautifully lays out these steps from verses 14 and 15. I think if, if you understand this, not only in terms of, of how to be saved, but how to just walk with God in faith. So we call upon the Lord to deliver us, right? And initially, when we come to Christ, someone's told us the gospel we've we've heard it we say hey that makes sense i i believe that's true and we say lord would you come into my life i believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead forgive my sin come into my life you'll be saved if you do that so paul is just laying out these steps and it's kind of like you think about like a little child who who calls out for their their parent or grandparent like yesterday the ladies were at the the conference and i was watching alice and she she was taking a nap and she woke up from the nap she's getting to the age now where she'll, she'll remember oh yeah papa has been watching me and so she calls out to papa you know come and get me from from my crib and um but you think about what's going on in the heart of that child is she understands that papa is there He's he's going to take care of me. He's someone I can depend on. He's going to be there for me. So I'm going to call out to to Papa to come and get me. If she never called out, I wouldn't I wouldn't know. So it's kind of the same idea that, you know, God is a faithful God. Uh, He's going to be there and we believe that. So we call upon him. And, And so Paul lays out those steps. Verse 14. How shall they call on him? in whom they have not believed. So if they don't believe, they're never going to call upon the Lord. 
how shall they believe if they haven't heard? So if they haven't heard the word of God, they're never going to have an opportunity to believe. And then they're never going to call upon the Lord out of that faith. And then he says, how are they going to hear if nobody preaches? So you see the steps. You, the, the, the preacher brings the word of God. The person hears it. They believe it. And they call upon the Lord and they're saved. And, and I would argue that for us walking with God, it's the same principle. You have issues in your life that you need to see God move in. And... <clears throat> And you come to a point of faith. You've, you've read the word of God and, and you've, or you've heard the word of God and you, you believe like the Lord can come and help me in this area of my life. I believe that. And Lord, I call upon you right now to just come into this area of my life and, and help me. And that's really such a simple formula. It almost sounds too simplistic, but how many areas of our life have you stopped and said, have I really surrendered that to the Lord? Do I really believe the Lord can take care of this area of my life? Have I ever even called upon the Lord to take care of this area? And you might say, well, yeah, I've done all those things and the Lord you know, still hasn't answered. Well, you know, there's something else going on there then isn't there where maybe the Lord is saying, okay, um, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, this in this season, uh, I'm not really going to deliver you of this thing, but I'll give you comfort. I'll give you grace to it to endure it. But God always answers. But the, the problem is not unanswered prayer. It's often unoffered prayer. And, and I know in my life, I'll, I'll have kind of the light go on. Sometimes I'm like, man, I've been struggling with this area of my life. And uh, I've never really formally sort of surrendered it to God. So then verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And just that uh, beauty from God's perspective, when you're someone, you know, teaching the word of God, preaching the word of God, uh, God sees that as a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing you're doing and serving him. And notice also it says it's a gospel of peace. It's glad tidings. It's good things. Sometimes maybe when we share the gospel, we're, we're sharing it from kind of a, a, a negative point of view. Here we see, hey, we're reminded it's, it's about good, the good news of peace that God wants to have with people. These are, this is glad tidings. They're good things that God wants to do in our life. Then verse 16 but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So again, Paul is explaining to the world what happened with the nation of Israel. Why is it that that God has seemingly set them aside and he's working so much with the Gentiles. Well, Paul's saying it's because they haven't obeyed the good news. And you'll notice Paul equates obedience with faith. It's the what he says earlier in Romans, the obedience of faith. So uh, 
obedience and faith aren't in conflict. They're really, they're really so much tied together. When we surrender to the Lord's way of faith, we're being obedient. So Paul, again, he's quoting so much Old Testament uh, scripture to create his argument saying, I, you know, Isaiah 53, you might uh, recognize that one, Lord, who has believed our report. That's the uh, chapter that lays out the suffering of the Messiah in such great detail. Even before, you know, crucifixion was invented, uh, it's laid out in great detail in Isaiah 53. But the chapter starts out basically saying, Lord, who has believed our report? God knew that they weren't going to accept and believe the work of the Messiah. So Paul's saying, this is no surprise. This is all, God knew this was going to happen. And I think the, the first century church needed to hear that. The nation of Israel needed to hear that. And so Paul is just laying that out in, in a, a very amazing way here. And then verse 17, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's a very important verse. Paul, again, saying Israel uh, failed to enter into this new covenant because they they wouldn't do it God's way by faith. But that's also a principle for us of understanding if we're struggling of believing God in an area of our life, we need to hear the word of God and that will inspire faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So faith is created in our hearts as we meditate on the Word of God, as we see <clears throat> the ability of God. And the less time we're spending in the Word, guess what? Our faith is going to be less. The more time we're in the Word, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the Word to us, our faith is going to, is going to grow. But I say, they have not, but I say, have they not heard Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So Paul is explaining again why Israel has been rejected from this new covenant or why they have rejected it. And in a sense, God hasn't chosen them because they haven't chosen God. And so Paul's saying, well, if faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God, but hasn't Israel heard? So shouldn't they be exercising faith? And again, he quotes an Old Testament scripture. He says, no, the sound's gone out to all the earth. Uh, the, word, the words to the end of the world. So Israel had heard the gospel. And the Old Testament said they would hear it, but they rejected it. Verse 19, but I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. So I think what Paul is saying here, well, maybe they did hear the word of God, but maybe they just didn't understand it. And Paul's saying, no, they, they did understand the gospel. Why would they react in such a jealous way, in such an angry way? And you see that jealousy and that anger in the gospels, right? The, the, the Jewish leadership against Jesus, they were so jealous of him. All the crowds were going to them and they were supposed to be, you know, the, the religious leaders who people were drawn to. 
but the people were drawn to Jesus and they were very jealous. They were very angry. And then you see it in the book of Acts as well with the, with the church, how God was using these, these lowly fishermen uh, to do miracles and see thousands come to the Lord and the Jewish leadership, uh, they were, they were very angry. They, they knew exactly what these men were preaching. And they, in fact, they told them, you're not allowed to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. They, they knew, they heard it and they knew and they understood what the message was, but they rejected it. And that's what Paul is laying out here step-by-step. He's basically, you know, vindicating God says God has laid out this gospel in the old Testament and the new Testament, but you have to accept it by faith. You have to bow your knee and Israel was not willing to do that. It's not God's fault. It's Israel's fault. And Isaiah is very bold and says, verse 20, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Again, look at all the Old Testament scripture he's quoting to uh, reinforce his argument of, of Israel rejecting it the gospel and God knowing ahead of time that they would. He says, I, uh, those people that didn't seek me are the ones who came to me. The, the, uh, Gentiles as they heard the good news, but to Israel, he says all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Again, it's, it's justifying God. And, And by the way, if you're into this whole Calvinism and Arminianism, you know, argument, uh, some people get really obsessed with that. I, I kind of was for a season in my life, but kind of worked my way you know, through it. But why would God stretch his hand out to somebody for salvation that he hasn't called? If he's, if he's reject, rejected people, like that's what uh, Calvinists would believe, say, well, God's chosen these people for salvation, and this group over here, he's chosen basically to go to hell, and, and nobody understands it except God, but we just got to trust God. Well, why would he stretch his hand out to these rebellious people that are already destined for hell? That doesn't make sense. See, God is always stretching his hand out. He, he desires for everyone to be saved. And, and now he knows how you're going to choose, but that still doesn't take away from your responsibility to, to choose rightly for him. So we just see the mercy of God. We see the love of God, him stretching out his hands to a disobedient, contrary people. And we, we can be disobedient and contrary, right? And, and, and we come to that point of repentance and, and returning to the Lord and, and to remember, Hey, God is right there, you know, stretching his hand out to you. He's not mad at you. He hasn't got a, a clenched fist toward you to beat you down. Well, it's about time you came back. You know, it's like the, the prodigal son, right? Who, when, when he came back to, his father, the father ran toward him. Son, I'm glad to have you back. That's just the heart of God toward us. So next week we will cover chapter 11. And and this really uh, continues on the subject of of Israel and really has some um, strong rebukes to the church uh, to not become proud and and understanding, hey, you're the chosen now. And uh, Paul says, but... um, you know, remember, you've been grafted into this tree of Israel. They've they've been uh, taken out, out of the tree, you know, temporarily. You've been grafted in, but don't become proud because God can take you off too. 
And uh, so it's all about, you know, the humility and the mercy of God, remembering that's we stand by God's grace and there's nothing really to be proud of as the Gentile church to look at the Jews and say, oh, you know, we're special. You've been rejected. No, it's just because we've come by faith in the work of Christ, not any work of our own. It's all grace. So it's good for us to, to keep humble, isn't it?